Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 546. Welcome in. I want to start with a correction, an embarrassing one. Uh, this comes from episode 544, Monday's episode. I said that Bill Belichick coached Vince Wolfork and Reggie White. Reggie White was a star for the Packers. I was talking about Lawrence Taylor, possibly the greatest pass rusher of all time. Uh, Belichick coached him with the Giants. I was saying how it would be interesting if the Patriots made a move for Aaron Donald. I said Reggie White and, Lauren, and uh, Vince Wilfork. I met Lawrence Taylor and Vince Wilfork. Um, got that wrong. It, it's embarrassing. Like I, I, I was wondering as I was saying it, like, am I, get, am I saying the wrong name here? I might be. And, and then I realized right as soon as I got off, I was like, oh, boy. So um, I try to correct the record as often as I can, whenever I can, when I'm wrong. Um, whether it's like a big thing, like, hey, I made a prediction and it went wrong, or like a little thing like this, a detail, I said a name wrong. Uh, shout out to Brian Simpson. Oh, my Goodness, uh, we had him on the show last episode, 545. He is, uh, my two favorite comedians on the planet are Brian Simpson and Tom Segura. It was pretty crazy. I'm talking to Brian. I'm like, how'd you get your start in comedy? How'd you get in, you know, in the, the orbit of Joe Rogan? And he's like, actually, it was Tom Segura. And I'm like, bing, 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 what? And suddenly I'm talking to my, you know, one of my favorite comedians about my other favorite comedian. And it's like, man, it was so dang cool. And, uh. I don't know. I love it, man. I love him as a person. He goes like, he's got this deep, booming voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, just, oh, I don't, I can't do it justice, but I love Brian. I am very grateful he came on. Uh, he reached out a while back and said, hey, you're coming back. Can I help you? And I was like, you want to come on the show? And so we, I shoehorned like as much football as I possibly could into like the first 20 minutes. And we talked for like an hour, 10 about life and about comedy and even about like Diablo 4. Um, it was just fun. And I, I think a really great episode that I, I hope fits. I, I like, look, I that's an interview that probably could go on my other podcast, Zach Schaumler talking, because it's barely about sports. But I'm like, look, I'm not going to have Brian Simpson on and put him on my tiny podcast that no one watches. I'd rather put it on the big one. And frankly, like, I, I think it was great. I, I hope that young people out there um, heard a lot about career stuff and about motivation. And I just I really, really love him. And I'm grateful so much that he came on. Um, I want to start today. The Jets have given Quinn and Williams, their defensive tackle, a really big four-year, $96 million contract extension. It's kind of the news of the day. Like, ooh, give a reaction, Zach. And um, I, I'm sure over time, maybe I'll have a more thoughtful thing to say. It just happened, so I'm kind of still reeling and figuring out what to say. Um, here's my immediate reaction to this story. And if I've got more to say later on, I definitely will. He's 25 years old. He's a stud defensive tackle. I have no problem with this move. It's a lot of money. It's not even $100 million. I find it just kind of inoffensive. Like, okay, there we go. That's that's pretty solid. Uh, it comes out less than $25 million a year. He is what Vince Wilfork once was to the New England Patriots. He is a guy who works hard. He's a great leader. There's no drama. There's no problems. He shows up to work every day, does a great job consistently delivers on the field. Um, he's going to be there hopefully his entire career in New York. I like this move. I have nothing. I don't like love it. It's like, oh yeah, you gave a guy a lot of money. Okay. I, I hope that's money well spent. Uh, but I, my surface level analysis here is that, look, he does nothing bad. There's nothing like 
you know, problematic about him. He's not got any bad habits. He's not a problem in the locker room. In fact, he's great for the locker room. He's anything but. He's really positive for the locker room. I love him. He's like really, really a guy that I would want to play with. And so um, is it... I think as time goes on, and I think about it more and marinate on it more, and, and maybe the years go on, we'll go, was that a good contract or not? I, I see nothing wrong with it, which I, I, is the best I can give you now as a straightforward reaction, is I like him. He's a good leader. He consistently delivers. And uh, hey, Jets fans, write in. Do you do you not like this contract? Do you like it? I The word to me is inoffensive. It's like, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's a good player. They got a lot of money. And it's, there we go. I'm curious, though, Jets fans, do you like that your team spent money this way? Um, I think it's great to lock down Quinnen Williams till he's like 30, have him hopefully plays an entire career uh, in a green and white uniform. That sounds awesome to me. And uh, Jets fans, write in. Let me know what you guys think. Now, uh, yesterday, the ESPYs happened. Uh, it's an event that I don't care for. I don't, I, I don't really watch it. I don't really... Um, I... I I don't hate it or anything. I just am not going to watch it. I'm not going to sit down and... Du- I mean, there's not a single award show, really, I would give any any time to. Um, probably the award show I give the most energy to is the Game Awards, actually, at the end of the year. Uh, the Video Game Awards, hosted by Jeff Keighley. I don't really watch them, but I definitely watch shows that break down what happened during them. That's really interesting, because there's a lot of game announcements, and there's a lot of stuff that... For a nerd gamer like me, I'm like, oh, like, hey, that, that game exists, that game exists, I'll never buy any of them, but it's good to know they exist and I'll watch the review when it comes out, right? So I, I like that, I'm in that culture, I guess, but the ESPYs, uh, the, the clips I saw, ESPN's just trying to manufacture big moments for social media, it's how it feels, it's a whole show dedicated to like getting a bunch of famous people in a room, spending way too much money on security, probably, and um, as the years go on, it makes me feel more awkward and more manipulated like hey is this really the best thing to get win person to win this award or the best group to win this award or are you just doing this because it's a good story and it's a really good post on the sports center espn social media page you know what i mean i'm like ah like i'm not that compelled the the one moment the reason why i brought up the sbs at all was to highlight this one moment that happened was it good was it bad I found it weird. LeBron James went on stage. LeBron James, who, um, man, it, I don't, <laughs> I really don't want to have the debate today. Is it LeBron James or Michael Jordan? But one of the two best basketball players of all time, whether he's the GOAT or not, I, I don't care. I don't really want to have that conversation. Um, but I think you can make a compelling argument for him or Michael Jordan. Certainly, uh, uh, the one thing I'll say this is like the most political. It feels like, see, LeBron versus Michael Jordan actually feels like a political like conversation at this point. It's so polarized and so charged. Like, it feels like you're talking about a, a former president or something. Like, you're bringing up really bad stuff that is just going to make people angry either way. Because that's really what the Jordan LeBron debate is. But the one thing I will say, I think I would rather be teammates with LeBron James. Okay, let, let, leave it there. Um, <laughs> see, it's it's funny. It's like when uh, I get criticized of being e- either side of the po- political world, say, oh, you're this or you're that. I'm like, you're not right. But I'll give a breadcrumb and they cling on to it. Go, Zach must believe this. And that's definitely what's going to happen with that quote right there. Um, I, li- I like LeBron, but I found what he did at the SPs very, very annoying and like 
totally it didn't need to happen. It was like, well, why? Why did you do this? He goes on stage and gives a speech about how when he feels like he can no longer give 100% to the game of basketball, he's going to walk away and retire. And then he goes, but that's not today. And he doesn't retire. And you're like, what? what? Why waste like, you know, whatever amount of time of our lives with this weird that's what I mean. It felt like ESPN, a producer probably said, hey, LeBron, get on stage. Why don't you address the retirement stuff? And then and 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 then we'll have some, I feel like it just felt like weird. And I, I don't know if it's maybe him reading social media too much and believing that's the real world or what. But it, it I, I was like, does anyone think LeBron's going to retire right now? I, I didn't think he was going into the night. Then he starts talking and suddenly you're like, oh, maybe he's going to retire right now. That'd be weird, but sure. And then he didn't retire. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? Why, why, uh, why send us down this journey if for no reason? It was uh, very, very bizarre. And there's a lot of reasons to not like LeBron James. The decision, the bouncing around between teams. Um, you know, if you're not a fan of opposing teams that have lost to LeBron James, I can definitely understand hating the guy because he beat your team. I, I think also nostalgia... And loyalty to Michael Jordan would be another reason why you don't like LeBron James. Like, ah, Jordan's better, therefore. And then you always got a chip on your shoulder against LeBron James. Um, he's a polarizing figure who's done a lot of good for a lot of people. Uh, he's also, you know, he's he's human. He's got some mistakes and says some weird stuff on social media sometimes. But if you found the moment at the ESPYs, if you watched that video on like ESPN social media page of LeBron giving this weird speech where he like talks about retiring and then doesn't retire. If you found that cringy and weird, I did too. And I, I just kind of want to share that. Like I, I don't, if you haven't seen the video, go watch it. Cause I, again, I didn't think retirement was on the table for LeBron James. He let us know that every season now he thinks about retiring. Okay, great. I'm sure you do. You're older. Like I, everybody does that. Um, I don't know. I, I found it, um, bizarre. And unnecessary is kind of the word. Why did we have a moment where LeBron faked like he was retiring? Like he pumped fake retirement and then didn't shoot. And you're like, okay, well, all right. Okay. It's, I think the people who don't like LeBron because they call him dramatic and kind of a soap opera guy, they just won. Like they, the people that criticize LeBron for being too dramatic were like, see what I mean? And I'm like, ah, I like LeBron. I really do. He's awesome. But that was unnecessary and weird. And I want to just acknowledge that and talk about it because it was like, I, I actually had to. I'm like, does any, I, I, please write in about this. Did anyone else watch that and just feel like, this is, this is unnecessary. This is, why is this happening? And if you have, if you got theories on why it happened, um, please let me know. Did, also, did you watch the ESPYs? Because I didn't. I, I, I think they're just losing relevance and... I can't imagine it's a cheap event to put on for ESPN. And I can't, I don't think I would, does it make money? I, I don't think so. I, I don't think the number of people that watch it and the ad revenue they bring in really necessitates getting all those insanely wealthy, successful athletes in a room and, and putting on, you know, renting out the space and hiring security. Um, I just, I wonder if, I, I can't imagine the ESPYs make money. Why are we doing it? Do people watch it? Like, legitimately. Is that a thing people watch and, and like? 
feels like part of an old world that doesn't need to happen anymore. Like like most award shows. And uh, if you have thoughts, please write and let me know. Because I am, I'm not sure we need the ESPYs anymore. But I'm not sure we need ESPN anymore. <laughs> but he can't say that. All right. Um, I, I drink some water real quick. Oh. I need to. If you're listening on audio, I'm sorry. Um, I brushed my teeth, and that's that's a citrus flavor. That you ever like? Yeah, you know, I don't I don't buy Mio, but I, I I try to put flavoring in my water. I know it's bad for me. I'm sure. I mean, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it is. Um, but it helps me drink more water and stay hydrated. If it's got a little bit of flavoring to it, and uh, I don't buy the Mio one. I buy like the off-brand Walmart one. I've never bought. I usually buy grape. I bought the citrus flavor this time. Citrus after you brush your teeth is the worst feeling on the planet. Um, like never brush your teeth and have orange juice, and uh, never, never have flavored water right after brushing your teeth. It is not a good experience. Um, <laughs> uh, let's talk about this. The NFL preseason starts on August tenth. I am a massive, massive nerd. I'm a weirdo. I love football. I love quarterbacks, and I love the preseason. I will hopefully cover the preseason more in depth than I ever have before this year. I really want to watch as many preseason games as I can. Um, I'm, I'm not going to watch the ones with bad matchups or where good players aren't playing. Meaning, meaning not not like star players aren't playing because that's most preseason games. But there are certain quarterbacks I'm going to be looking for this preseason and trying to cover. Because it's kind of the only time we get to watch some of these backup quarterbacks play. Ever. And I really enjoy it. If you're a quarterback nerd like me, you're like, oh my gosh, an opportunity to watch, gosh, what's the name of the kid out of, um, uh, what is his name? Why am I blanking right now? Jake Hayner. Like Jake Hayner out of Fresno State playing backup quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. We might never get to watch him play quarterback ever again. And I liked him in college. I want to watch. I want to see what he can do. That's the kind of person I want to cover during the preseason. For the nerdy people out there like me that are like, hey. I think he's got potential. Dorian Thompson Robinson, another guy who like is skill set wise, maybe a perfect backup behind Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. I want to watch him. So let's go through a list. I got a whole a bunch of quarterbacks I want to list right now. Um, a lot of them you know, a lot of them I've never talked about before on the show. But the number one quarterback that I cannot wait to watch during the NFL preseason, the guy that ever since I covered him like a week ago on the show, he's been in the back of my head kind of scaring me and make me making me worry that maybe I was too harsh or maybe uh and and let me say this is a, a person who I really hope will prove me wrong exceed my expectations and become a franchise quarterback because the skill set is there like the physical ability is there and he's in a good situation he is sitting behind a veteran quarterback he is a quarterback this will this will give it away he fell out of the first round of the NFL draft. It's Will Levis, the quarterback uh, in Tennessee. He's a talented young quarterback. I, everyone thought he was going to be a first-round pick. I wasn't a big believer. I was like, ah, eh, did you watch him against Florida? It was bad. It wasn't impressive. He got outshined by Anthony Richardson, like, by a lot. But he can run. He's got a really strong arm. Six foot four, 230. There's videos of him, like, running over linebackers. You're like, wow. I mean, that looks like Josh Allen running the football. And given how talented he is, paired with the fact that 
He's going to sit on the roster behind Ryan Tannehill, and there's not a lot of pressure early on for him to play. He can sit. He can learn. And when he's ready, he's going to get an opportunity. And, and here's a really crucial thing about Will Levis. The fact that he can run is a big, big advantage because if early on in his career, similar to Josh Allen, actually, if he makes the wrong read or screws up, he can take off and make a play with his legs. And that for a young quarterback who is still learning to read NFL defenses— that's a huge advantage because it adds another element to your game. You got another weapon in your arsenal. How many times early on in Josh Allen's career would he make a mistake and go, well, guess what? I'm running. And he'd run over a linebacker, run for like 15 yards, and you're like, wow. I mean, he turned a bad play into a good play. That's pretty cool. Will Levis could do that. If Ryan Tannehill gets hurt week three, Will Levis is thrusted into the starting job in Tennessee. There's a chance he does well with the limited offense, just running the ball a lot using his legs, getting the ball where he needs to with short passes, simplified stuff, it's possible. Um, and even beyond that, he, he does have arm talent. Like, if he can hone it in and get good coaching, get time to progress, I, I'm worried. I was pretty low on Will Levis when he got drafted and before the draft, and I'm, I'm starting to have fear going, oh, this guy could work out. He's in a good situation he does have physical talent. Oh, no. Zach, are you going to be looking dumb in, like, you know, a couple years? And so I'm, I'm going to share that openly now. And I want to be clear, I am rooting for Will Levis to prove me wrong. I would really, really like it if Will Levis did very well, became a franchise quarterback. Like, how cool if he became the, the Tennessee Titans franchise quarterback? That would be perfect. They need a quarterback. He's talented. He can run. If he's anything like, I think, um, I don't know. If, he's not Josh Allen throwing the football. But he's built big like Josh Allen. He can run. He's physical running the football like Josh Allen. There's a lot of similarities there. And I am curious to see how he progresses and where he goes as a player. So I am very, very interested to watch Will Levis in the preseason. His kind of opportunity to prove himself is going to begin August 12th. And uh, they're playing the Chicago Bears. I am so fascinated. I'm rooting for this man to make me look silly. I wanted to become a franchise quarterback. I'm not sure he will, but I, the more I sit and marinate on it, the more I'm like, well, I don't see a reason why he couldn't develop in time. He's got a great skill set. He's going to sit on the bench. Hmm. Hmm. And you know what? His physical skill set is big, and what shines in the preseason often is a guy who, because there is vanilla defenses and everyone's kind of learning a lot of receivers are running their own routes stuff like that it's hard to be precise and surgical in the preseason what often shines it's kind of like sometimes playing in an all-star game where guys don't know each other as well they're all learning and figuring each other out so the people that are most talented physically tend to shine will levis could stand out a lot in the preseason i'm anticipating that i'm hoping for that and um despite my I don't know if criticism is the right word, but I've been really low on Will Levis so far. Gosh, man, I hope it is well. Like, I would really be excited to see him become the franchise quarterback in Tennessee. And the physical ability is there. Um, can he read a defense? Can he be disciplined with the football? Is he going to get hurt? He, doesn't, he does not protect himself when he runs at all. That concerns me. No, he's not, he's not built like Tua, but... Uh, keep your eye on Will Levis. August 12th, they play at Chicago. And it's either, I, I know they play Chicago. I don't know where they're playing, quite frankly. But uh, they're playing Chicago August 12th, and I am tuned in. I'm very excited, very interested to see how that goes. Packers quarterback Jordan Love. 
He's taking over as a starter this fall. I've covered him a lot, and I don't expect to see a lot of Jordan Love this preseason, but I'm still curious. You know, he's going to be replacing Aaron Rodgers, and I, I think this just speaks to how excited I am for his year in general. Even a taste of Jordan Love, a couple of drives here and there during the preseason, I'm like, whoop, I am locked in with, like, binoculars. How is that going to go? I'm so curious. And I cannot wait till week one for some of these guys, Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter, Jordan Love, quarterbacks who are starting for the first time and have so much to prove. I cannot wait to see what happens, and it's going to start in the preseason with Jordan Love. Man, I, I want to see what their offense looks like. I can't, I just... I think really the preseason excitement for me is that I just can't wait till week one. And this is a taste, just a small little slice of what it's going to look like all year long, and I can't wait for it. Similar to Jordan Love, I talked about him a second ago. Sam Howell, Desmond Ritter. Sam Howell in Washington, Desmond Ritter in Atlanta. I just, I miss football, man. I really do. And I, like, the first drive we see with Desmond Ritter, I, I believe... They're going to run the football a ton. I don't even know if Bijan Robinson, their first-run running back, is going to play. But design-wise, I'm really curious to see what Desmond Ritter looks like. Are they calling a lot of design quarterback runs? Are they simplifying things? Is it heavy play action like I believe? I can't wait to see the system around both Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter. Remember, Sam Howell's got Eric Bieniemy as offensive coordinator, the former offensive coordinator in Kansas City, working with Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and the enemy is eager to prove himself. So I expect creativity, fun, unique stuff, putting Sam in a good position to win and do well. And again, preseason is where it begins. It'll be the first opportunity to see a little bit of what they got going on in Washington and Atlanta. How about big drama? The big, big drama uh, when it comes to NFL preseason is this quarterback battle in San Francisco. The 49ers have Sam Darnold and Trey Lance. Okay, uh, I, a lot of people have been angry at me when I've said that Trey Lance is the third-string quarterback in San Francisco. That is how I, uh, uh, my understanding, I, I want to be very careful of my words here, that's my understanding of the situation right now, is that it's Brock Purdy, Sam Darnold, then Trey Lance. Okay? Like, you, you may not like that, but that's, that's my understanding of the situation. I'm excited to watch Sam Darnold and a good offense with San Francisco. Good coaching, good players around him. First time pretty much ever in his entire NFL career. Like Sam Darnold, um, if Brock Purdy struggles, Sam Darnold might be the franchise quarterback in San Francisco. This is going to be the best opportunity of his life to do well and succeed. Think about it. Jets, uh, Carolina. When, when does Sam Darnold ever put on a good football team with good players around him after college? I'm waiting. Oh, you don't have an answer? Because it's not happened. He was coached by Adam freaking Gase in New York. You're, you're not telling me Sam Darnold's going to be better with Kyle Shanahan and a really, you know, throwing to George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, handing off to Debo Samuel, an incredible offensive line, handing off and throwing to Debo Samuel, by the way, because he's apparently both a running back and a receiver. Or maybe he's more of a receiver and a running back. Whatever. I don't care. That's not my point. My point is, if they got weapons in San Francisco and good play design, and here's another thing. Brock Purdy's skill set is a guy who can't run around and make plays. He's a pocket passer. That's more what Sam Darnold is. So if you're going to build an offense around Brock Purdy, who fits into that offense better, Sam Darnold or Trey Lance? I think Sam Darnold's more likely to be able to execute that kind of offense than Trey Lance's. 
given his skill set, given his background as an NFL quarterback. Trey Lance has been in the NFL for two years and barely played. Oh boy, I cannot wait to watch Trey Lance during the preseason. We haven't really seen him play. I think it's the most interesting quarterback battle in the NFL right now, actually, is who is the backup quarterback in San Francisco? Sam Darnold or Trey Lance? I think we're going to see a lot of them in the preseason. I'm excited for it. And, uh, I mean, look, Trey Lance can do stuff throwing the football and running the football that Sam Darnold simply can't. He's got a massive arm. He can run like crazy. But Sam might be more polished. He might execute better. He might take care of the football better. I know that's crazy to say about Mr. Sam Darnold, who's had a horrible NFL career to this point. But remember the context. He played with the Jets when they were awful. He played for the with the Panthers and a failed head coach, Matt Rule. So I am... I am so interested in what's happening in the backup quarterback role in San Francisco. And what happens if Brock Purdy isn't ready week one? Who's going to play, Sam or Trey? What happens if Brock Purdy gets hurt? Who's going to play, Sam or Trey? I I don't know. Trey Lance or Sam Darnold is a, that's a fun quarterback battle in San Francisco that I recommend you tune into. Because how they play in the preseason is going to really matter on the depth chart. And not that it doesn't for other people too, but that's a big one. A good football team that could win that's historically had a lot of quarterback injuries. So if you're the number two quarterback in San Francisco, historically there's a high likelihood you were going to play. Last year they went through three quarterbacks. So I don't know, man. I am really, really tuned into San Francisco this preseason to see what's going to happen between Sam Darnold and Trey Lance. How about Bryce Young, man? Number one overall pick in Carolina. I, I am a, look, the, I would have drafted Caleb Williams if he could have come out uh, this year in the NFL draft. I would have drafted him over Bryce Young. I think Caleb Williams is incredible. And if he does, some people are talking about how, you know, Caleb Williams might fall down the draft uh, you know board and not be the number one overall pick next year. I dare you. I dare you to not draft Caleb Williams number one overall next year. Draft the kid out of you know, North Dakota State or out of a... Uh, uh, North Carolina, if you want, instead. Go go ahead. Do it. Go do it. I, I think Caleb Williams is amazing. It reminds me of when Trevor Lawrence was in college in Clemson, and he had to wait one more year till he could come to the NFL. And people are like, what if Trevor Lawrence falls in the NFL draft? And you're like, guys, that's not going to happen. He's the best quarterback today. He would have been number one overall pick this year. I feel the same way about Caleb Williams. However, Really close behind him was Bryce Young. Bryce Young was the best quarterback available in this year's draft class. To me, by a mile, he was so much fun to watch in college, dude. This guy, it's like he had eyes in the back of his head. His ability to run around and extend plays, make throws from different arm angles, his body twisting in different ways on the run. And it was a little stuff. Like he would make a man miss, extend a play, and find a swing route for a check down. And you're like... I'm like, that's the best play I've seen all day, and no one's going to talk about it. You're not going to see it on Center, But his awareness, his ability to read defenses, his ability to distribute, he's like an incredible point guard. He just gets the ball in the hands of the best people available. He's hard to tackle. He takes care of himself. He keeps plays alive and runs around, but he rarely takes a hit. Like, he's so good at avoiding getting hit. I don't know. He must have you know, sat behind Tua and learned a lot and was like, you know what? That guy gets hit a ton. How about I not play like him? But Bryce Young, my goodness, he's amazing. And uh, going to be day one starter in Carolina. 
I think I think there was a year of overlap, right? I think he was a freshman, like a, a true freshman, to his last year at Alabama. Is that correct? I think so. I, I think there was overlap between him and Tua at Alabama. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and someone can call me out on it. I, I'm just spitballing here. Um, I, I want to see Bryce Young in the preseason make a lot of mistakes early so that he can learn and not make those mistakes during the regular season once we really get going with real football. So I want to see Bryce Young play. I want to see him make mistakes and have things go wrong so he can get it on film and go, hey, let's not do this, let's not do that, be better with your eyes here, correct all that stuff so week one he's ready to go. He's coached by Frank Reich in Carolina, a guy who was not very good as the Colts head coach. There's a lot going on there, though. Frank Reich had a revolving door at quarterback. He also had an owner, Jim Irsay, who I would not want to work for because he's just all over the place and um, I I think kind of a a hard person to work for, actually. And even if Frank Reich was terrible in, in Indy, I think that's a little overblown. I don't think he was terrible. I think he was... A guy who made a lot of mistakes and was in a tough situation with, you know, he, he thought he was going to get Andrew Luck at quarterback. And then very quickly that did not happen. And he had to, for years, scramble to try to find a good quarterback after that, which was just a really not a good situation for him. But let's imagine, even if Frank Reich truly was just awful when he was in Indy. I think of the times in my life where I've learned the most. It's the times where I've done really dumb, really bad stuff. The times where I've screwed up. Not like dumb, like, oh my God, you, I can't believe, more like, hey, that was a bad mistake. That was like, you know, I can, my thought process is wrong. I learned from it. I'm trying to do better now. I would imagine Frank Reich has learned from all of the things that went wrong in India as a head coach and is going to be more prepared to be a head coach in Carolina. I'm interested. I'm excited. I think he's going to put his young quarterback, Bryce Young, in a position to do well. And, uh, man, I am very, very interested to watch Bryce Young during the preseason. How about C.J. Stroud? From the number one pick to the number two pick, C.J. Stroud, the number two overall pick in Houston. Here's what I can't wait to watch from C.J. Stroud this preseason. So when it comes to Bryce Young, I'm interested in the mistakes he makes. I'm interested in just watching him because it's like watching a human highlight reel. He's just fun to watch. Like Not like he makes big plays all the time, Bryce Young. But Bryce Young is just like, when it comes to sound quarterback play, getting the ball in the right person's hands, making a man miss, like it's textbook. It's like the little stuff that he does makes me go like, oh, that's amazing. CJ Stroud, what what I want to watch with him is going to be the system around him. He's got a guy, Bobby Slowick, which is not the last name I would want. Slowick, like, ooh, that's a, your name, your last name's Slowick? Okay. Uh, That's our offensive coordinator though in Houston. Not to pick on him, I, sorry. I'm sure he's heard that his whole life. I hope he's got tough skin and can handle it. He was the 49ers passing game coordinator last year. He did a good job. The stuff he worked with, and I don't. it's it's a title. I don't think he was responsible for everything that happened with Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garoppolo and how well they did throwing the football in San Francisco last year. But certainly he had a role in that. And certainly D'Amico Ryan said, hey, I want to elevate you. You're doing a good job. Let's bring you to Houston, be my offensive coordinator. I'm not sure what to expect. And that's why I want to watch C.J. Stroud in the preseason is to see what Houston puts around him, the the players around him, the offense around him. Um, I've got confidence. I think he's going to be like a 
a Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins level quarterback. I don't know that he's ever going to be a top five quarterback, but he's certainly going to put up a lot of yards, throw the ball a lot, be very successful during his NFL career. And I'm, I'm interested early on what they're going to put around him, what what the receivers around him look like, what the the system looks like, what kind of call, plays they're calling. And we're going to get a kind of a taste of that during the preseason. And based on what we see in the preseason, I can then make a lot of decisions when I make predictions to see how Houston's going to do. So uh, I am interested in C.J. Stroud in the way that I can't wait to see what Houston puts around him. Anthony Richardson, the number four overall pick, quarterback in Indy. I do not expect Anthony Richardson to be the starting quarterback for the Colts week one. I don't know that he's going to start a game all year. He probably will because, again, I don't like Jim Irsay. He's a bit impatient, the owner of the Colts, and I could see him week 14 being like, yo, we're losing. Put the young guy in. I'm not paying you to run a team your way. I'm paying you to run a team my way. He might stronger on them into putting Anthony Richardson in late in the year. But I think Gardner Minshew should be the quarterback of the Colts for a lot of the year, if not all year, because of where Anthony Richardson is when it comes to development. He is not quite ready yet, in my opinion. The stuff he does well is beautiful and amazing. But in college at Florida, the bad stuff was really bad. You're like, oh, that's a awful interception. You're like, what the world was that? What in the world was that? Like some, some bad stuff went down last year at Florida with Anthony Richardson, but the good was amazing. High highs and low lows. I want to see him, you know, get a little more even when it comes, less of a roller coaster and more of just a gentle boat ride, you know, through like San Antonio, Texas and the little, you know, river, riverfront. I want a smooth, gentle boat ride. Right now, watching Anthony Richardson play is kind of like the Rapids. It's, it's a lot of up and down. It's a lot of, it's fun. It's exciting. But the bad is bad, and he might flip the boat. So what I would do if I was coaching Anthony Richardson, I would play him a ton in the preseason. Like, I would play him almost three full games. He's not ready to start week one. He needs a lot of development and a lot of time to learn. But if you put Anthony Richardson on the field, A, if you're not expecting him to play much during the regular season, then get him reps now. Get him on the field. Get him playing. That way, his rookie year, he does get some playing time. Basically, he could start three full games if you make him play most of the preseason games. The reason why you do this is that I would want to have Anthony Richardson put a lot of stuff on film. Good, bad, all the above. Get a lot of mistakes on film that you can then watch back all year and help him correct and say, hey, we got to do this differently. We got to do this differently. But the more of him playing you can document on film, the more you can help him learn and work on that stuff. And so if I were the Colts, you know, decision makers, I'd say, look, Gardner's our starting quarterback. He's going to start week one. We're not going to win a lot this year, but he'll take care of the football. He'll be okay. He'll be interesting enough. And our future is Anthony Richardson. He's going to sit for a long time. And in the preseason, we're just going to put him out there. And he's going to, it's going to be ugly and it's going to be good. He's going to learn. He's going to make big plays. He's going to make bad plays, highlights and lowlights. And, um... The more stuff we can get from Anthony Richardson on film during the preseason, the more we can help him learn. And I know they got practice all year. They got stuff like that. But I, I want him playing. I want him learning and playing and getting comfortable. And so 
I don't. I doubt they're going to do that in Indy, but I am really excited to watch Anthony Richardson during the preseason because I just don't think he's ready. I think he's going to be at times really ugly, but then he'll make a man miss and run for like 70 yards and you're going to go, okay, I get it. And you're going to say, I can see why Zach might think this guy could be the best quarterback five years from now from this draft class. Like I'm telling you, He'll make a crazy throw during the preseason. It's going to be all over Twitter, all over threads. Is that even a thing yet? I use threads, but I'm the only person I feel like. But you'll see it all over social media. A couple big plays from Anthony Richardson during the preseason. You're going to go, whoa. Wow, that was beautiful. And I, it's going to happen. I believe that. And so keep your eye on Anthony Richardson. I am really excited to watch him during the preseason. All right, now we're getting into true backup quarterbacks. I apologize. I forgot this guy's name earlier. Jake Hayner, quarterback out of New Orleans. This guy might never be an NFL starting quarterback. We might never see him play. This might be the only time his entire NFL career we see this guy play. But I want to remind you something, remind you of something. Uh, September 8th, uh, September 18th, 2021. He was the quarterback at Fresno State. He beat number 13 UCLA. I believe it was 40 to 37, something like that. Then a couple weeks later, he goes and plays number 11, Oregon, and almost beats them. They lose by a touchdown. I remember this vividly. I'm like, dude, that's the moment Jake Hanner got onto my radar. And I was like, whoa. He's throwing back shoulder fades. He's moving the ball all over the place, just with beautiful accuracy and precision. And I went, I love this cat. He's undersized. He's small. But my goodness, is he accurate? And he's throwing people open, beating top-ranked teams. He's at Fresno State beating Pac-12 schools. And you're like, wow, this is a really good quarterback. I really like him. He's a fourth-round pick uh, for the New Orleans Saints. I don't know, man. I just want to see him play. I, I, I think he can do some good stuff. And, you know, I, I didn't watch a lot of him last, last year. That's, you know, 2021 was when he really grabbed my attention. But... If he's still the same kid who was slinging it against UCLA two years ago, I got an open mind. We'll see what he can do, and um, I'm interested to watch the New Orleans Saints backup quarterback, Jake Hayner. I think he's a guy who, like, there is a potential reality where he's good enough that if Derek Carr two years from now is not getting it done, he's expensive, they cut him, Jake Hayner could be the starting quarterback in New Orleans. I think that's, of the many possible timelines ahead of us, that's one that could be real. And um, I think this is our first opportunity to see what he can do. I'm interested in Jay Kaner in New Orleans. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, DTR, the backup quarterback in Cleveland. It's Deshaun Watson. They got Josh Dobbs as a backup there. And then DTR. DTR was a fifth-round pick out of UCLA. And I, I think he fits in really well in Cleveland. You know, he's got a similar skill set to Deshaun Watson. He can run. He can throw. He's got... He's got a cannon. I, I think this is a an underrated part of DTR. You know, I, I watched him throw. He was throwing with Odell Beckham Jr. in L.A. one time. I got to see it, and I was like, yo, yo, this guy's arm is unreal. It made me feel bad about myself. I'm like, Zach, like, I, I barely played college football. Like, I, I could barely. I have, like, the weakest arm. I can, like, I can get the ball there, but it takes a long time to get there. DTR was throwing dots. You're like, whoa, whoa. That's amazing. I remember just being blown away by his arm strength and arm talent. He can run, he can throw, and, um, you know, he can run the zone read really well. I am interested to see what Dorian Thompson-Robinson can do during the preseason in Cleveland. There's so many good quarterbacks. I mean, I, I think we're in, in kind of a, 
a state of the world with quarterbacks where there's just so many good ones now everywhere. Like there's all these young guys who can play and make some big plays that we're, we're almost at a point of oversaturation. Like DTR 10 years ago might have been considered a, a, you know, a, a starting quarterback or a guy in the mix. And he's not at all now. That's interesting to me because there's potential there. And uh, I am so fascinated to see what DTR can do in Cleveland. And can he make noise in the preseason? I think he can. Stetson Bennett, backup quarterback uh, in L.A. Um, he, it's funny. They've got Brett Rippon, a career backup, and then Stetson Bennett, who I think could become a career backup. Similar to like Chase Daniel or something like that. He's a Rams rookie fourth-round pick out of Georgia. I, it's, it's possible he flames out and does nothing in the NFL. It's also possible Stetson Bennett shows up, works hard, asks the right questions, keeps his head down, and walks away playing 10 years in the NFL making like, you know, $20 million. And you're like, hey, that's, that's a lot of time well spent. That's a guy who never played, held a clipboard for years, and did all right. And, and the time or two he came in, Similar to like Matt Barkley in Buffalo. Hey, wow. He did a good thing or two. Oh my gosh. Now, I am curious because, you know, and you got to remember Stetson Bennett, there, there's kind of a meme out there. He spent six years in college and got no degree. And, and who was it? Was it a oh, kid out of Ohio State? Who is that really amazing quarterback? Cordell, no, no. Cardell Jones was like, well, he wasn't playing school. And then, <laughs> It's, a, it's an all-time great like quote about that. I love, love, love that. But he did transfer a lot. That's probably part of why he didn't get a degree. And he was focused on football. One thing I'm interested in with Stetson Bennett is he got in trouble off the field this offseason. Didn't seem to affect him too much in the NFL draft. Like He was drafted in the fourth round, which felt higher than I expected, actually. He won back-to-back national titles in college. I don't know what to expect. But if he's going to be the career backup, I think he could. It's going to have to start during the preseason. And so I'm tuned in. I want to see how Stetson Bennett does as a preseason quarterback uh, in the NFL. And it, it could either be a guy who, you know, he, he lasts like a year and doesn't stick and ends up out of the league really quickly. Or he could be a guy who lasts 10 years. That's his possible career path. I don't really see him becoming um, the next Brock Purdy who becomes out, you know, comes out of nowhere, becomes a franchise quarterback. But hey, we'll see. And so I, I'm interested to watch Stetson Bennett during the preseason simply because he's noteworthy. Like he did a lot of good stuff at Georgia. I thought at times like he was, I mean, almost underrated. Some of the best stuff Stetson Bennett did at Georgia was like, whoa, that's he's making plays, dude. He's beating really good football teams and really good defenses and not getting credit for it at all because his reputation is he's the guy who got carried to a national title at Georgia. He won back-to-back national titles with Georgia. The first one, he got carried there. He had a really great team around him. They led him to a title. The second title that Stetson Bennett won at Georgia, he led them to a title. He was the playmaker. He wasn't handing off to great players, having a defense carry him. He was making big-time plays. He really settled in his final year at Georgia. So I have an open mind, man. We'll see what he can do. One more guy who, man, I... You know, I don't know if this guy's going to stick or not. I like him a lot. He's got a lot of heart. He's got... So when I say arm strength, I don't mean he can't throw the ball very far. Because I can throw the ball like 60 yards. But I can't drive the ball on a line. Trent Dilfer once told me, hey, the reason why you're not in the Elite 11 is because you can't throw that deep comeback route quickly enough to get it on a line. And he was... I mean, I... 
takes a lot in me to say he was probably right, right? I just couldn't drive the ball with a ton of zip on a line into a tiny little window. I could get it there, but it would take a long time. Max Duggan, the quarterback out of TCU, seventh-round pick, backup quarterback for the LA Chargers. He doesn't have a weak arm, but the ball takes a long time to get there. But he can run. He, he's got a lot of heart. He makes good decisions. He's a guy who I am interested in. Heart, like, he fought. I watched him give everything he had in the college football playoffs. I watched him make a lot of big plays all year. TCU was incredibly fun to watch last year because of Max Duggan. And so I'll tune in. I'll watch a game or two. What can Max Duggan do in the NFL? Maybe nothing. But he also, because of his ability to run around, and he certainly doesn't have the ability to throw the ball like Justin Herbert, but he can throw the ball uh, accurately. Maybe he's an ideal backup behind Justin Herbert for a long time in L.A. I don't know. But these are the kind of people, like, you're never going to hear anyone sit down and talk about Stetson Bennett, Max Duggan, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Jay Kaner. These are backup quarterbacks that we throw away and never think about. And these are the people that I am so interested in watching during the NFL preseason to see, like, hey, what can they do? And if I, if I get it right, if I, if I make a prediction, if I watch the preseason, I see Stetson Bennett do well, and I'm like, hey, that guy's a 10-year backup, and then it happens, is it weird that I would get satisfaction from saying, yeah, I saw that. I saw that, like... That's a prediction no one's going to make. Oh, 10-year backup. But if he does that and that happens, that'd be kind of cool to me. I'd be like, ah, oh, sweet. And he also, I like Stetson Bennett. Like, he seems like a guy who, how do I say this? Like a normal dude who, who just, you know, has worked hard and, and kind of climbed the ladder. And a 10-year career for Stetson Bennett walking away with like $20 million at the end of it, that's a really, really good career for him. And, uh, I think that's an achievable goal for Stetson Bennett. I'm sure he's got higher hopes. I'm sure every player wants to become a franchise quarterback at some point. Everyone tells themselves they're the man. But when I look at Stetson Bennett, that's what I see. And that's fascinating to me. Maybe he flames out. He got in trouble. I think he was drunk or something this offseason. There was some some stuff that happened off the field. That's a bit concerning. I remember watching him after winning the national title go on Good Morning America, I believe. Dude was hungover as all get out. So... um, does he take care of business off the field? What happens when you give a young man a lot of money? I don't know. I don't think he's Johnny Manziel, though. So we'll see. All right. How long have we been going? I wonder. 46 minutes? Are you kidding me? I, I was worried that today's show was going to be short and, like, not going to be long enough. And suddenly I'm like, now we're, now we're longer than I thought. I was just – I was aiming for an hour today. We're already at 46 minutes, 45 roughly, whatever that is. Um – Okay, I'm feeling way better. I'm going to end the show today with questions from Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. Patreon.com slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. Please do support me. Uh, you can donate more if you want to. Like there's a $5 tier. There's a $10 tier. I, I need to probably at some point do a better job of um, figuring out my Patreon. Like, Currently, I just say if you donate, if you if you give more than a dollar, it's all every all the extra money you're giving is a donation, but it does help run the show and keep the lights on. Um, but for a dollar a month, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the show. But man, you guys, I I pick as many as I possibly can. I read almost everything written into me uh, on the show, and I think tomorrow's episode is going to be like. 10 Patreon questions. I think we're going to do a lot of Patreon questions tomorrow, and I'm excited about that. 
because we got a lot of backlog of stuff I want to read. So anyway, Eric starts today. Eric says, hey, Zach, glad to see you're back. I've been a fan for years. This is a bit of a unique question, but I was wondering how you predict how teams or for that matter, players will perform in the upcoming year. Like obviously teams like Kansas City are relatively easier to predict, but when I look at teams like the Jets, I have no idea what to expect. How do you analyze teams before the year has started and you have nothing to go on so far? So what I do, Eric, I look at the roster. I look at their schedule. Um, <clears throat> I go game by game. I measure everything. I, I really take a lot of time. I, I even tell myself stories like how this game is going to go. When when Buffalo plays Kansas City, for it, it, I don't even know if they do this year. I haven't looked at their schedule yet. But if they do, that's the kind of, kind of game where I'd go, well, it's going to come down to the end. Who do I feel like's got a better edge in this moment? Who are they? What we, you know? What game do they play the week before? Uh, is the game in Kansas City or Buffalo? Is it later in the year? Earlier in the year? Who do I think is going to make a play? Like I really do like a whole story of what I think is going to happen in that football game, and then I pick a winner. I don't share you the story I came up with, but I tell you what I ended up deciding. And game by game, I measure everything: who's got better players, coaches. What might happen here? What might happen there? I really create a whole narrative in my head of how the year is going to go for every NFL team. And and part of how you do that is you have to predict how players are going to play and how much players are going to progress and get better. You know, for example, Mac Jones or Kenny Pickett or quarterback. So I think are going to get better this year. The question is how much? And that's got to be reflected in my predictions. So at some point, you got to just pick a side. You got to say, hey, I, I think this team is going to do this this year. Their quarterback's going to do well. It's going to improve these other players. Like their young receiver might do better because their quarterback got better. And you pick a narrative that you believe about that team. And then it echoes like a spider web through everything. For example, if you believe the Jets are going to do well and you believe that Aaron Rodgers is going to succeed, then maybe they steal a win from Miami. Maybe they beat the Patriots. Maybe they steal a win from a good team. Like if you think they're good, that should be reflected in how their season goes. And, um... You know, we're only like a week or two away from starting. I'm going to do two rounds of predictions this year. Predictions round one, get it out early, and then like sit on it for a couple weeks. Think about it, listen to feedback, and then I'm going to revisit and do round two of predictions this year and go, okay, well, I was crazy about the Seahawks. Now that I think about it, maybe not. I thought Philadelphia was going to be horrible, and actually they're really good. Those are examples that I just made up. But my point is I'm going to do two rounds of predictions this year. It'll be interesting and fun, I believe. And then I think there's value in doing it once, sitting on it, thinking about it, listening to feedback, and then letting people challenge my opinion, and then going either – I believe it more than I thought it did because I got challenged and it didn't hold up to, and it held up to scrutiny. Or, you know, when I got challenged on my belief on this team or this quarterback or this player, I realized ah, I might have been wrong and, and I reevaluate and move things around. But whenever you pick a team to win, there is a team on the other side that loses. And a lot of people that do predictions say, like, they just throw out numbers. These teams are going to go nine and eight and 10 and seven. And then, mathematically, there's only like, I believe, 162 wins to go around. And if you have a bunch of teams and you add up all their wins for a lot of predictions, it's literally not possible. Like people aren't going through every game and picking a winner and then reflecting that as a loser on the other side. I do that. I do a lot of prep. I take a lot of care. It takes a lot of work, but I think it makes it more interesting and much better. And I create basically like a whole little universe of what I think could happen. 
And uh, I think, you know, my prediction shows are some of the hardest work I do when it comes to preparation and writing. And it's also while you're preparing, it'll take a, like a week or two to prepare, like literally like a 60 hour week to prepare. And I got to spread that out during two weeks because I got to also do regular shows while I'm preparing that after work. So it's a lot, but it's worth it. And I, I think it reflects in that my prediction shows are really, really high quality. I'm very proud of them. I really believe in them. And uh, I'm excited to share them this year. It's going to be really fun and really cool. And uh, don't worry about me because how do I, how do I say this? Because you have to do all your predictions at once. You can't, you got to get all 32 teams ready and then break them up into like four episodes throughout the week. So it'll be like two weeks of work. I'll be doing a regular week. And on the side of that week's worth work of worth of normal work, I'll be also pre preparing predictions. But the week of predictions is really easy because then you got four shows literally already made. And so you're not after, I'm probably explaining, over explaining this, but um, you, you basically have to get everything done early. But once you get everything ready, the week of actually recording and putting that stuff out is, is pretty uh, manageable and really, really easy. So um, it's just, a, it's a lot of preparation ahead of time. Aiden writes in, Aiden says, hi, Zach's balls. You said it. Do you think that Sean McDermott is on the hot seat if the Bills season ends another uh, ends in another disappointment? Well, let's re let's back up. Hi, Zach's balls. Don't know why you said that. Thanks, Aiden. Do you think that Sean McDermott is on the hot seat this year if the Bills season ends in another disappointment? Do you think it was premature to extend him and Brandon Bean this past month? Finally, what did you consider a successful season for a team like the Bills, Bengals, and Kansas City, etc.? Is anything but a Super Bowl win or appearance a failure from these teams with such high expectations? Thanks. Glad you're back, bro. Thanks, Aiden. Um, when you said hi to my balls, maybe you meant eyeballs. Maybe it's a typo. Maybe it's not, and you're getting spicy. Either way, um, let's, let's talk about Buffalo first. I think Buffalo is satisfied. I think they are um, happy with where they are. Is that complacency? I think a little bit. You know, the Buffalo Bills were bad for so long. I think they're just grateful to not be horrible. But I would really like to see Buffalo aggressively, aggressively fight to get better and move farther down um, into the playoffs. And uh, I, I worry that their head coach, Sean Mc, uh, McDermott, I worry Sean McDermott hit his ceiling. And uh, you know, he's a defensive coach with one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. They lost a really good... Uh, offensive coordinator Brian Dable to be the Giants head coach. It makes me wonder, like, should Brian Dable have been the coach of the Bills? Like, do you do you want an offensive genius to be the guy working with your young quarterback, Josh Allen? Is it kind of a waste to have Josh Allen, this talented, incredible quarterback, not working with an offensive coach, but working with a defensive coordinator? Like, if if Sean McDermott's, you know, they're they're I forget the, I'm blanking on the name of their offensive coordinator in Buffalo. He once played quarterback for the Hurricanes in Miami. But if he leaves and goes to be a head coach somewhere else, they're going to have their third offensive coordinator in the history of their young quarterback, Josh Allen. And uh, that's not great. You know, I look around the NFL and Patrick Mahomes has an offensive head coach who's going to be with him probably his whole career. Andy Reid. Joe Burrow's got Zach Taylor. Um, a lot of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL, Trevor Lawrence has Doug Peterson, former NFL quarterback. Like all these young quarterbacks, 
are paired up with an offensive-minded head coach. It creates more stability for a franchise because you're not losing. The guy working with the quarterback doesn't leave when he wants to become a head coach. I don't know that it's great that Josh Allen is paired with a defensive head coach. I think that's a problem long-term. Sean McDermott did a great job building Buffalo into what they are. Can he get any farther? I don't know. I think you might have to hire someone else to get Buffalo farther down the road and win a Super Bowl. I just don't think Buffalo wants to do that. They don't want to hire another guy. They are happy with the success. They're winning. They're building a new stadium. They're making money. Things are good. I think they could be better, but if you make a move to try to be better, you are risking the stability you have. And so I would almost challenge Buffalo and say, look, I think you're getting complacent. You like winning. It feels good. You make it the playoffs every year. That's awesome. Do you want to win a Super Bowl? Do you? It doesn't look like you do. You, you, you hired, you gave Sean, you know, Sean McDermott an extension. So far, he's been unable to get it done. And he's let good coaches Brian Dable leave because Brian Dable didn't want to be an offensive coordinator for his whole career. Brian Dable took the Giants to the playoffs with Daniel Jones, made Daniel Jones look good. Like, am I the only one who thinks, hey, Buffalo might have been better off with Brian Dable as their head coach? I'll say it. So I think that, frankly, Buffalo's a bit complacent. They're a bit, um, they're happy with where they are, but it's, uh, it's not where they want to be, in my opinion. <clears throat> and so I just, I'll say it again. I think Buffalo would be better if Brian Dable was their head coach, the Giants head coach now who was once the Bills' offensive coordinator. Beyond that, even farther, I would say that I, I just worry that the, the risk it would take, if they fire Sean McDermott, a guy who's winning and doing well, that's a risk because you're letting a good coach leave in pursuit of an even better life, going from good to great. Do you want a, a good career or a great career? Do you want a good job or a great job? Do you want a good season or a great season? Do you want to make the playoffs or win a Super Bowl? And in order to go from good to great, you take a risk. You, you gamble. You roll the dice and you hope they land on a good one. You might fire Sean McDermott, hire an offensive coach who's horrible, and you fail. And I don't, I don't think Buffalo's willing to risk failing. But if you're, not gonna, if you're not willing to make the risk to change head coaches, you might miss out on a Super Bowl. They just extended Sean McDermott. Great. More years of not winning a Super Bowl. And the best years of Josh Allen's career, getting wasted. I'll say it. Putting that out there. Brian Dable should probably be the head coach in Buffalo, but things didn't work out that way because you can't fire head coach and hire offensive coordinator. That's too outside the box. That's too... Uh, you can't do that. That's not how things are done. You can't fire a coach who's winning playoff games. That's not how things are done. Well, if you don't make a change, you're not going to get any farther. That's my worry with Buffalo is that Sean McDermott hit a ceiling. What are the expectations for like Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati? I think um, a deep playoff run is the expectation. You can't expect to make the Super Bowl every year. That's not realistic. There's too many good teams and it's too challenging. But if you're Buffalo or Cincinnati or Kansas City, you have to get close to a Super Bowl. Whether you are the Super Bowl, you're in the AFC title game, or if Kansas City goes and you lose to Kansas City in the playoffs, I can excuse that. But if you, if you lose in the divisional round to Tennessee, that's a problem. That can't happen. That kind of stuff is where it's inexcusable. And so Buffalo, Casey, 
or Cincinnati, they can lose to each other. They can lose in the Super Bowl. They can lose in the AFC title game. Anything beyond that, then then we're talking about a problem. What if Buffalo doesn't win their division this year? Then what? Was Sean McDermott the right move? Was extending him right? I understand it's a risk to fire him. But what's the risk of not firing him? It's having a good career and a good couple years with Josh Allen, but never great. And, you know, if Buffalo is happy with good and doesn't want great, good for them. But I would want to be great. I would want to win a Super Bowl. And it doesn't appear like Buffalo is motivated to make the moves required to do that. Small grading guy wrote in. He says, hey, Zach's left eye. Eyeball. Zach's left eyeball. He just, Graydon points out just my left eyeball. I don't know why. He says, me and the right one aren't on speaking terms right now after the incident. What incident? Graydon, what happened? Please tell me. Feel free to write in. I, did I do something wrong? Did my right eye do something wrong? Very interesting. There's drama going on and I don't even know it. I'm involved, but I don't know. <laughs> What's happening here? If there was one quarterback from today that you could send back in time to compete in a different style, what would it be? And if you could bring one quarterback from the past to compete in today's game, who would it be? Um, I wouldn't send anybody back in time because I wouldn't subject anybody to that. Running the football every play, getting your, your butt kicked, getting your head beat in all the time. Um, I think a lot of quarterbacks from today... Josh Allen's a quarterback. Like, he's he's Terry Bradshaw. Josh Allen could go back in time and, and play in the 80s or the, the 70s. You know, he's he's big and tough, but... A lot of these smaller guys, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, I don't think they, they would physically, you know, Tua would not last playing football in the 80s. Like, he, he just, he would have got his butt destroyed. Like, he would have got, you know, thrown to the turf and smacked around and, um, you know, saying butt destroyed and then saying those terms. Mm-hmm. But the rules are different, right? Players got hit way harder. Quarterbacks were not protected. I don't know that I would want Tua playing in those those olden days where uh, you get you get thrown around and uh, you're not protected by the rule book. But the one guy that came to mind when I read this question, the, the person I would bring forward, I would give almost anything to watch Dan Marino play in today's NFL game. You ever watch Dan Marino play quarterback? Like the stuff he did in the 80s and 90s is unreal. Given that we were playing in a time, you know, he was playing in a time where it was a, a run first offense, a run first league, you ran the ball almost, you know, that that was what you did. You ran the ball, quarterbacks got hit a ton, there were not rules protecting the quarterback. I mean, I, I watched Phil Sims. Remember Phil Sims? Guy who as a broadcaster said a lot of weird stuff and people were kind of mean to him. Uh, There's a great video on YouTube of Phil Sims uh, in the 1993 season with the Giants. And he was like this veteran quarterback who was tough and really played well at the end of his career and uh, the 93 season didn't end great, but he was like really, really good that year and played kind of at an MVP level way late in his career. I think that's impressive. But Dan Marino, you know, he threw 48 touchdown passes in 1984. 48. Do you understand that? I believe it was the second year in the NFL. Dan Marino threw 48 touchdown passes in the early 80s. That record did not get broken until 2004 by Peyton Manning. Only three quarterbacks have ever thrown more touchdown passes in a season than Dan Marino. Tom Brady, 
Peyton Manning and Patrick Mahomes. And those guys, Manning, Mahomes, Brady, played in a different era of the NFL. A pass-first era with way more rules protecting the quarterback. I would give almost anything to watch Dan Marino play today. Where he's not getting touched. He's getting protected by the rules. It's more common for quarterbacks to throw the ball around. The fact that some of the stuff that Dan Marino's done still holds up today is unbelievable. It shows like how great of a quarterback he was. And he was way ahead of his time. It's unbelievable. In fact, part of why the NFL is the way it is today is because of Dan Marino. And so, man, I, I would love to see Dan Marino play in today's NFL. I think he'd do very well, and it would be so, so interesting. Um, we had a question from Hammond about Pete Carroll. I'm going to read that tomorrow. I'm going to, I'm going to bump that to tomorrow because we are, we are running longer than I thought, but we'll do two more questions and we'll talk about some, some TV stuff. Travis writes in, Travis says, Hey Zach, so glad to have your voice in my ear holes again. Do you ever plan on bringing the intro music back? Maybe new music for the reboot. Love the show and looking forward to all the great content. Um, music for Strong Opinion Sports, like... That's like motocross from uh, Apple's like Garage Band. So like I got that the the old intro song was like a free sample you get when you have uh, Garage Band or iMovie. And then I just I used to edit the show on iMovie and I kept it and I, I've used it forever now. Um, and I when I just I just at some point was like I don't know that this fits anymore. It didn't feel like me and I. It's kind of loud and in your face, and I'd like to have my own intro music. And also, it's the kind of thing, that song is used by, like, so many other people for so many other things. It's just like a, it's like a free use, just clip, and it, it's free use, free use music anyone can use, and it's totally unoriginal. Like, there's, every once in a while, someone would, would like, you know, um, write in and say, oh, that's, that's someone else's theme song. Like, actually, anyone can use it. Um, but because it was unique, I didn't want to use it anymore. And uh, music, I would love to have, like, someday... Someone composed an awesome intro song. You know, my, my friend, um, I'm blanking on his name right now. He listens to the show. He makes music. What is his name? Let me find him on Instagram. Uh, Tom? Does that sounds right? Music. Um, okay, I can't find him. We, we've talked before. He's listening, I'm sure. He's a Giants fan. I, I know he's out there. He's offered to write music for the show before. Possibly. The thing is that Intro music for Strong Opinion Sports just is not a priority right now. I'm trying to get the show going, and, like, I'm worried about what I'm going to say and the content. I don't really have much energy to put into coming up with or creating or, you know, paying someone to make music for the show. Uh, and I know people want to do it for free. I, frankly, don't feel comfortable taking work from people for free. Like, a lot of people offer, hey, I'll be your editor for free, and that's a great offer. I appreciate it. But it, it doesn't feel right to me to take your work and, and do it use to make money off of other people's work when they're working for free doesn't feel right to me um and so once i can afford to hire someone to commission someone to make music or hire an editor i'll do all that kind of stuff but uh for now like i'm taking care of my own stuff my own business and uh someday we'll do that kind of stuff music not a priority right now um but and, and i know i've gotten i get messages every day from people i'll, I'll be your editor you don't have to pay me and i'm like like ah, but i do because that's ethically wrong and i don't want to do that um, so anyway, Zach writes in on Patreon. Got a great name, Zach. Big fan. Zach says, Hey, Zach's extremely curly hair. Excited to have you back. Thank you, my man. What's up? Uh, I feel a bit conflicted about this last year. On one hand, I'm ecstatic as a Chiefs fan and watching, t uh, watching 
them win the Super Bowl. Um, he, he wrote this weird. He, let me read what he actually wrote. He said, ecstatics as a Kansas City fan and watching get to and win the Super Bowl. I think you mean watching my team get to and win the Super Bowl. But either way, it was just weirdly worded. Either way, you had fun watching last year, watching your team, Kansas City, go to the Super Bowl. On the other hand, I feel disappointed that Buffalo didn't challenge us as they have in the past. What are your thoughts on the year of these two teams? Zach, I want to want to say something controversial, something that I don't think will be well received, but it's not my job to worry about that too much. Um, I hope people like the show, but I have to be honest. I find Kansas City to be so good that they're boring. Um, they're inevitable. It's like playing Madden on rookie mode. Like I, I don't, I play Madden on as hard a difficulty as I can because I like not knowing whether or not I'm going to win. Am I the only person who plays Madden and I lose sometimes? Like on franchise mode, I'll, I'll finish a year like 13 and three. Cause you know, sometimes I'm playing against Peyton Manning and he gets me. He scores like 40 points and I can't keep up or I'll like, I'll lose in overtime and I'll throw a pick six. And I'm like, I, li- I like that. I don't always know if I'm going to win or not. I've lost the Super Bowl in Madden. Like that's all, and I and I don't quit and replay the game. I save it and I take it on the chin and I own that because that's the challenge is fun. I like not knowing whether or not I'm going to win. That makes it more authentic and real. When I watch Kansas City, they just feel inevitable. They're going to win, <laughs> and it's it's amazing. They're incredible to watch. Patrick Mahomes does unbelievable stuff. I think Chiefs fans get really mad when I say this. I don't mean to like take anything away from them. But I love when I don't know who's going to win. And watching Kansas City recently has started to become like watching Alabama play, you know, New Mexico State or something. You're like, uh, Alabama's going to win. They're way better. The Chiefs aren't that much better than the other NFL teams, but they are better. And, um, you know, like Buffalo might not even win their division this year. Is Buffalo going to challenge Kansas City? They're going to try. Good luck. Like, Someone writes in, uh, Balin wrote in the other day, and was like, hey, is, uh, you think the Chargers can challenge Kansas City? And I'm like, what, top to bottom, there's not a single thing the Chargers do better than Kansas City. Their coach isn't as good. Their quarterback isn't as good. Their players aren't as good. I mean, their fan base, no offense to their fan base, but their fan base isn't as passionate. Even like the stuff that doesn't matter is that Chiefs are better at. It's crazy. Although, hey, uh, Chargers fans probably aren't putting on wolf masks and robbing banks. Shout out to Pat McAfee. That clip is hilarious. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I don't imagine a world where there's not a lot of people that can challenge Kansas City. And, and the day you do, um, that's a good one. Like I, I, I love when a team can challenge Kansas City. When, when it, someone can really make it look tough for KC, that's fun. I, I, don't, I don't hate when Kansas City wins, but when I watch Cincinnati play Kansas City, and it's close and interesting, and I'm not sure what's going to happen, I relish that. I love that moment. I love when teams can challenge Kansas City. That's fun. And I really hate... Um, I think I've been talking about Madden a lot, but I've been playing a lot recently. I was playing... I play Madden 11 because um, I'm, I'm stuck in the past, and I can't... I, it's just the best one ever. And Drew Brees is, like, just unbelievable in that game. He's so dang good. Like, Drew Brees, when you play him, he scores, like, every drive. And so I was backed up on my own 30-something yard line, two minutes left in the game, fourth and three. And I went for it, and I got it. Because I knew 
If I gave the ball back to Debris, he was going to go and score and I was going to lose. I have a lot of reverence and respect for Debris. It's the same with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City when you watch real football in real life. If fourth down against Kansas City, you got to go for it. You got to gamble. You got to take risks. You cannot kick field goals. You have to go balls to the wall and give them the very best you possibly can, and you do not play it safe. If you kick field goals against Kansas City, you're going to lose. They're better than you. They're inevitable. If you want to get them off, you like if you want to catch them slipping, you really, really have to get them off balance, and then like if Mahomes throws a pick, you got to score. You got to take advantage of that. If you're on the goal line and it's fourth and goal on the two-yard line, you're not kicking a dang field goal. You're going for it because you want to beat Kansas City. You don't play to tie. You don't play to lose. You play to get every little advantage you possibly can because Kansas City is that good. So in some ways, they're really interesting because when they get challenged, it's fascinating. When, when a team can stand up to Kansas City, I lean in. A couple times the Raiders have been close the last couple of years. The Raiders have like played really good games against them and almost beaten them, and I love that. Um, I think they even did a time or two. But my, my point is that I love watching Kansas City. Like, they're really interesting and really fun. But they lose me just how often they win. They start to feel there's like a sense of hopelessness that no one can challenge them. And that, not great for like a football fan. Like me who just wants to be, I want to be at the end of the fourth quarter and not know who's going to win. And regularly when you watch Kansas City, game's over. Like way earlier than that. Sometimes going into the game, I'm like, like they're playing uh Gosh, who's who's horrible in the NFL right now? It's getting better. You know, a couple years ago they played like the Browns, right? And when Patrick Mahomes played the Browns, I'm like, this is not even that's not game's not even in question. They're gonna win. It's just I don't even know if that actually happened. I'm throwing an idea out there. Like NFL teams are getting better and more and more, more and more even. But uh, when when KC plays Houston, do we think Houston's got a chance? Ideally, they do. But come on, so I don't know. Like, look at Buffalo's division. What's what's realistic for them? The AFC East is loaded. Um, you know, Miami's really good. The Jets have Aaron Rodgers. That could be great. Mac Jones has a real offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien. It's possible Buffalo doesn't even win their division this year. So the gap between Kansas City and Buffalo is massive, in my opinion. Massive is a strong word, but there's a gap. Like, there, Kansas City is definitely better than Buffalo. By the way, I was talking to, uh, I did a fantasy football phone call, kind of scheduling and planning the, we had a Strong Opinion Sports Fantasy League coming up. We got 12 spots locked, um, four available if you're out there. Logan, uh, so maybe maybe only uh, maybe only three available because I know Logan, um, he lives in Hilo, Hawaii. He, he's going to be playing uh, Gold Dude MK. You know who you are. I love you. You're awesome. You're in the league. I, I got your message yesterday. So there's three spots left in the Fantasy Football League for Strong Opinion Sports and uh Anyway, Sam and I were talking, and I'm looking at stats. I don't look at stats very often. Did you know that Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell combined for over 4,000 yards receiving last year? Tyreek Hill had like 1,700, Jalen Waddell had 1,300. That blew my mind. I was like, wait, is that actually, that might be only 3,000. <laughs> I think I'm an idiot. I think it's only 3,000. Oh my God, I'm so dumb. 1,700 plus 1,300, that's 3,000. That's still amazing. That's still, uh, God, I was so excited. I thought that was 4,000 for a second. I was like, wait a minute. No, I'm wrong. I'm, uh, I'm an idiot. So why, so why I talk about sports and don't build buildings. Um, cause math. Ooh. Anyway. Um, 
God, that that made me feel dumb. That that was like the fact that I thought seventeen thousand plus thirteen thousand. So, sorry, seventeen hundred plus thirteen hundred is four thousand. Oh, your boy's slipping. I'm getting old. Um, let's talk about this. Aaron Rodgers and the Jets have been put onto hard knocks. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. Can't wait to watch. Um, hard knocks teams don't normally do well, but is that because hard knocks ruins their year? Or because hard knocks can only go to bad teams. You know what I mean? It's like, because the teams with the lower records in the NFL, the NFL can just decide hard knocks is part of their, you know, their training camp. And you can't say no. Whereas like, you cannot force Kansas City to have hard knocks because they can say no because they had a good enough record. You get the right to veto it and say no. So the Jets are a team that was bad last year. Are they still bad? They were bad last year. So they get hard knocks, but does hard knocks mean they're bad this year? I don't, I don't think they're correlated. We'll see. It might be a distraction. It's certainly going to be great television. Can't wait to watch. Uh, I leave you with this end of the show today. Um, God, I'm still embarrassed about that 4,000 thing. Like, Oh, that's a bad look. That's, that's dumb. Um, there's a TV show on Netflix called quarterback. Uh, Marcus Mariota, Kirk cousins, and Patrick Holmes were mic'd up all year long. Um, I think I'm going to watch it and cover it. I'm curious what you guys think. Do you guys want that? Um, you know, Marcus Mariota left Atlanta midseason last year. That could be interesting if they show it. Maybe I'll watch it so you don't have to, and I'll tell you whether it's watching or worth watching or not. But um, I think next week we might cover that show quarterback uh, on Netflix. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. And uh, see you tomorrow. Ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.